Uh, you know, that song was uh, performed by award-winning artist Joan Osborne, poses a very interesting question. Uh, what if deity took on flesh and blood and became one of us, uh, a human being? And uh, what if that miracle of incarnation was carried out for a, a, a specific purpose, namely that God himself would enter history, live the perfect life we could never live, die the death we deserve to die, and through resurrection, graciously offer eternal life to all who put their faith in him as Savior. I mean, what if it's all true? I don't know what Joan Osborne believes about Jesus. I'm sure she has an opinion. Most people do. In fact, um, uh, in the early days of the Christian church, not, lo uh, not long after uh, the resurrection, uh, opinions about Jesus began to vary widely. By late in the first century, some people were saying some pretty strange things about him, like Jesus wasn't really even human. He just seemed human. His physical body was just an illusion, they'd say. Uh, and therefore, the, crucif the crucifixion was an illusion. The resurrection was an illusion. And in response to that, the apostle, the apostle John said, Hey, look, I, I spent three years with Jesus. I saw him. I touched him. I, I, I ate dinner with him. I, I heard him teach. I witnessed his miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection, along with Peter and Matthew and James and Mary and Mark and several hundred other men and women. And so John argues in the New Testament, along with the Apostle Paul and Peter, how there's this historical objectivity to Christianity that you have to deal with, you have to face. Jesus lived and Jesus died and was resurrected to life. It's what transformed a bunch of cowering, ragtag followers into a unified, impassioned group of witnesses who would rather accept martyrdom, death, than deny what they knew to be true. The Apostle John summarized it this way. He said, Jesus is the Christ. He is. Savior through whom we have, by the grace of God, eternal life. And so uh, tonight, it just makes sense to ask the question, what if? You know, what if it's all true? Do we believe that it is? Do you believe? You know, on Easter, uh, people often go to church expecting, expecting the focus to be on the resurrection. And to a certain degree, I get that because even the harshest critics of Jesus won't deny his life or his death. For example, well-known skeptic John Dominic Croissant writes, Jesus' death by execution under Pontius Pilate is as sure as anything historical can be. Uh, the late liberal scholar John Robinson of Cambridge University wrote, his death is one of the earliest and best attested to facts about Jesus. And historian atheist Gerd Ludemann writes, Jesus' death as a, as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. So understand, scholars on both sides of the aisle agree that Jesus' life and death are irrefutable facts of history attested to by not only Christian but also Greek, Roman, and Jewish sources. But when it comes to what happened on Sunday, you know, following the, the crucifixion and his burial went out from under the eyes of Roman guards, the tomb was opened and Jesus' body went missing. There are really only two possibilities, you know, either the body was stolen or Jesus walked out. And so for about 2,000 years now, this has been the most carefully investigated and scrutinized event of human history. As Christians, we believe that Jesus, uh, what happened to Jesus exactly what he said would happen. His life would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. He'd be put to death, raised again on the third day, guaranteeing life everlasting for all who believe and follow him. Uh, Jesus put it this way, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, even death itself. So don't misunderstand me. I mean, the resurrection wasn't as critically important, but here's how I see the whole thing. Even on Easter, you know, it's, it's just not a big issue. 
Uh, if you think about it, I'm, I'm guessing that there are a few of us here tonight who, frankly, as, as Dave mentioned a few minutes ago, could really kind of care less about this whole thing. If you're honest about it, you'll admit that you're here because maybe your parents forced you or you're just being a, you know, a good spouse or a good friend um, or you were promised dinner after the service or something like that. You know? and, and that's cool. I get that. That's fine. I'm, I'm glad you're here. But really, for you, the resurrection isn't an issue. You don't believe it. You feel that it's an impossibility. Or maybe you're a religious type person who believes in God and uh, you like some of the things that Jesus had to say, but you're just not too sure about this whole sin thing that we talk about. I mean, you realize that, that you're not a perfect person and sometimes that's a problem, but on some level you believe that uh, with enough effort, enough self-control, enough good work, enough prayer, enough religious ritual, that you can overcome the problem. You know, you have the potential to um, impress God, to please Him enough that he'll let you into heaven. And although you're never really sure when you've been good enough or when you've been moral enough, uh, you know, you just try hard and hope for the best, which means resurrection isn't an issue for you. Because, because if moral performance earns your way to heaven, then you don't need a sacrifice for sin. You don't, you don't need a resurrected Savior. And then, and get this, even if you're a Christian, if you're someone who admits that as human beings we are so deeply broken and messed up and sinfully flawed that we can, we can never ever be good enough to earn the favor of a just and holy God. We need his grace. You know, we, we need a savior still. The resurrection isn't an issue for you either because, you, you know, as Jesus put it, with God all things are possible. And therefore the resurrection doesn't demand some kind of comprehensive, foolproof, you know, explanation. And, and I say that around the holidays because uh, oftentimes as Christians we get to the holidays like Christmas and Easter and we convince ourselves that, that um, people aren't going to come to faith unless we somehow prove everything to them, you know, even the miraculous. And so we embark on trying to explain and, and sort of demystify the, the whole story, but here's the reality. There, there is mystery in all of it, man. There's, there's a lot of mystery in it. There's mystery in God. There's mystery in, in the incarnation. There's mystery in the resurrection. Um, and uh, I can't explain all that to you. I can't prove any of it to you. And I risk trivializing divine mystery if I try to do so. But hey, I mean, you know, when it comes to the resurrection, there, I mean, there's a lot of direct circumstantial corroborating historical sociological evidence that can be evaluated and is quite pers uh, persuasive. Even Gerd Ludemann says... It may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. That's an amazing statement uh, given uh, Ludeman is an atheist. But he says that something happened. And he, he admits that because the evidence is compelling. So ultimately, what the resurrection uh, and its evidence demands is a verdict. It demands a decision on who Jesus was, because if he was who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, then resurrection isn't an issue. Jesus himself becomes the issue, which is why he asked Peter and, and John and all the rest of his friends, who do you say that I am? You know, I, um, I understand people who say, look, the idea of a the idea of a man walking the earth, claiming to be God in the flesh, offering himself as the sacrifice for humanity's rebellion and sin and suffering unjustly and dying on a cross and being buried and resurrected to life, that is all just too weird for me. It's, it's illogical. It's an incredible and unprecedented story that, that has undeniably changed the course of history but is nonetheless difficult to accept, especially in the context of cultural modernism. I get that. 
It, just, it does. I mean, it seems irrational. Hard to believe. But as we've talked about before here, you know, just because something is hard to believe or hard to explain or hard to comprehend doesn't make it, doesn't make it false. For example, I just recently got this iPad. I, 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 this is awesome, this thing. Like, right now, I can, I can turn this on. Boom, took your picture. Boom, just sent it across the world to a friend of mine. Do you believe that? Of course you believe it. Can you explain to me how that works? <laughs> you know you can't. I have no idea how that works. I can hit another button right here and download hundreds of books into a library that's somehow in this little skinny thing and read the book at my, le- at my leisure. I mean, how does that work? I don't know, but it's true. That's, it does it. This week I talked to some people who got sick with the flu, and it's hard to comprehend how a tiny virus that's invisible to the naked eye makes a person so sick, but it does, man. It's true. Just because something's hard to see, something's hard to understand, something's hard to comprehend does not make it false. Here's the point. Do you believe in God? Over 90% of Americans do. So I'm guessing that most of you do as well. And if you're right, if God is real, then he must, he must be beyond our full comprehension. We're just human beings. He must be beyond our comprehension. If, and, and if God does exist then it's only rational that miracles are possible. Things can happen that I can't fully explain or comprehend. If God is God, he's created all the things around us, then he has the ability, he alone has the ability to do the extraordinary, the supernatural, and violate the physical laws of of the universe that he himself created. Like, you know, take on flesh and blood and raise the dead. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he uh, addressed some Jewish skeptics uh, one day about um, Jesus' resurrection. He said to them, look, you guys, believe, you guys believe in God, right? And they said, yes. And he said, then why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And, in other words, he's saying resurrection merely assumes the reality of God's existence and his ability to perform the miraculous. So again, it all comes back to faith. Ultimately, it comes back to Jesus. Who do we say that he is? Who do you say that he is? If he was just a man, then resurrection is nonsense. But if God is real, and Jesus was deity in the flesh, then resurrection is both rational and more than possible. And this is one of those things that you know, sets Christianity apart from all other religions. All of the religions of the world have founders who have come and said, let me show you how to find God. Only Christianity has a founder in Jesus that says, I am God come to find you. A massive difference. What if it's true? What if that's true? And you say, well, you know, I'm just not sure, man. I'm not sure about it. Obviously, Jesus was a good, a good guy. He was a good moral teacher who set a wonderful example you know, to follow and to live by. And, you know, look, I appreciate that sentiment, but I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to challenge that, uh, that kind of thinking and, and say, no, I can't be right because that's not what Jesus came to do. Oh, the other night I was watching the Bulls play, and um, not when they beat Miami, which was awesome, but when they, uh, they were playing Portland a few nights earlier, and Nate Robinson, uh, their point guard, he's five foot nine. So he's several inches shorter than me, five foot nine. And, he, and one player during the game, I don't know if you saw this on the news, if you're watching the game, he goes down the lane and he goes up and he dunks the ball over these big giant players. It was, it was an incredible play. 
And I was wowed by it. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, that that sets a fantastic example of how to do it right, right there. But I don't say then, okay, now I see Nate do it, I can go do it. I I know it's hard to believe by just looking at me that I couldn't, but um, that's not what I say. You know, I look look at Nate and say, yeah, that makes me realize, hey, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be able to dunk a ball like that. So in a similar way, when I look at Jesus, that's how I feel. I see how he lived. I see how he loved. I see how he cared for people. I'm never going to do that. Not like him. So if Jesus came just to set a moral example, then I'm in trouble. That's a cruel joke. Not only that, it doesn't make sense to say Jesus was a good moral example or a good teacher for that matter. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, uh, the late Oxford professor, former atheist turned Christian C.S. Lewis, uh, makes this famous statement. He said, a man who is merely a man and said the things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. In fact, the late atheist Christopher Hitchens Agreed. He said, I'm bound to say Lewis is right. Absent a direct line to the Almighty, how is it moral to claim a monopoly on access to heaven or threaten waverers with everlasting fire, let alone condemn fig trees and persuade devils to infest the bodies of pigs? Such a person is not divine, if not divine, would be a sorcerer and a fanatic. Fellow atheist Sam Harris, in his book entitled Letter to a Christian Nation, writes, I want to acknowledge that there are a few things that you, Christians, and I agree on. He says, we agree that if one of us is right, the other is wrong. Either Jesus offers humanity the one true path to salvation, or he does not. So here's my, here's my Ray K. summary. Atheists and Christians agree on at least one thing. You can't simply call Jesus a moral teacher. If you take him seriously, you have to take seriously what he said about himself. You cannot separate the identity of Jesus from the words and claims of Jesus. His life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection aren't mushy metaphors intended to inspire us to be nice, better people and wish harder for world peace. Let me remind you, Jesus claimed to be divine, God on earth, which leaves few options of interpretation. Either he was crazy although the sanity and the wisdom and morality of his teaching seemed to contradict that, or he was a liar and a crook, which his life of poverty and suffering seemed to deny, or he was telling the truth. He was the Son of God. I mean, so which is it? Insanity, deception, or divinity? Think seriously, because it's your decision to make. If Jesus was who he claimed to be, then you have to accept all that he said. If he wasn't, then why give a rip about anything he said? Shouldn't matter. Like it or not, Jesus claimed to be God. He also claimed to bring good news. First came the bad news that as flawed, imperfect, sinful human beings, none of us, none of us can ever be good enough to match the perfect standards of a holy God. And all of our our religious attempts to do so just leave us feeling guilty and defeated and discouraged and insecure and disillusioned. But here's the good news. We don't have to be good enough or moral enough. Jesus has done it for us. It's his performance. It's his good work on the cross. It's his sacrifice. It's his resurrection that purifies us and enables us to overcome judgment and death. The good news is not about religious effort or good works. It's about grace. God's grace. 
Because of Jesus, the door of heaven is open to anyone and everyone who believes. All you have to do is step in by faith. That's it. No more religious rituals to practice. No more legalistic hoops to jump through. No more man-made you know, molds to squeeze into. No more dues to pay. No more rope prayers to recite, candles to light, or demands to fulfill. No more having to clean up everything and get everything in order to be acceptable to God. It is a come-as-you-are proposition. And it's all about grace. Jesus claimed that heaven is graciously open to you. And so this is where Easter always gets personal. Because each of us have to decide what we believe. A young virgin named Mary, she had to decide. A tax collector named Matthew, he had to decide. A fisherman named John had to decide. A Pharisee named Paul had to decide. A well-known German atheist named Dr. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann had to decide. Moltmann became a follower of Jesus in a World War II prisoner of war camp in England. In his well-known book, The Crucified God, Moltmann explains how he began to believe in God because of Jesus, his life, his claims, and his resurrection, which he argues is not just historical, it was history-making. Physicist and geneticist Dr. Francis Collins, leader of the Human Genome Project in Bethesda, Maryland, director of uh, our National Institute of Health, and former atheist, writes this in his book, The Language of God. At 27 years old, a search to learn more about God led me to the person of Jesus. He was a person who made astounding statements about loving your neighbor and whose claims about being God's son seemed to demand a decision. After resisting for two years, I found it impossible to go on living in such a state of uncertainty, and I became a follower of Jesus. Every now and then, someone will ask me, hey, what, Ray, why do you like to, uh, why do you, why do I like to quote from those kind of guys uh, a lot from the front? And, and that's pretty simple. I read a lot of them, for one. Their stories are inspiring. But also, it's because there are some people in our culture today, like Sam Harris, like John Stewart, who, who, who want to suggest that the only people who, ever, who believe in God, the only people who embrace Jesus, the only people who buy into Christianity are simple, foolish, uneducated, irrational bumpkins. But that is so far from the truth. Famous British biophysicist and former atheist turned Christian Sir John Polkinghorne has written 34 books. His latest, titled Exploring Reality, the Intertwining of Science and Religion, says this, I believe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are prime events through which God has acted to make his nature and purposes known. Dr. John Lennox one of my favorite authors. I'm reading a lot of him right now. He's a professor of mathematics and philosopher of, uh, philosophy of science at Oxford University. He says, I believe death is not the end, and God is a God of compensation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates there is to be a final assessment at which God will not only be just, but will also be seen to be just. It also validates the biblical claim that there is an eternal realm where there is no pain, no death, and no hunger. A world filled with the joy of the, imi- uh, the immediate presence of God and of Christ its King. Yes, I'm talking about heaven, he says. And I haven't forgotten, I'm a scientist. But, th- but it's, this is not just about academics. I really like how... Um, uh, the, the po- very popular indie band, Mumford & Son puts it, in their album, Sigh No More... Death is so full and man so small. I'm scared of what's behind and what's before. Awake, my soul. You were made to meet your maker. I was told by Jesus all is well, so all must be well. And there will come a time when you'll see with no more tears. And love will not break your heart, but dismiss your fears. Get over the hill and see what you find there with grace in your heart and flowers in your hair. Speaking of music, one of my favorite contemporary Christian theologians 
is this guy, Bono, uh, U2 fame, who when asked by a French music magazine writer, isn't it far-fetched for you to believe in Jesus as the Son of God? Bono Bono said this, it's not far-fetched to me. The secular response to Christ always goes like this. He was a great prophet, interesting guy, had had a lot to say along the lines of other prophets. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Jesus says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I am the Messiah, King, God incarnate. So what you're left with is either, either Christ was who he said he was or a complete nutcase. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that is far-fetched. So you see, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, when it comes down to it, Easter is personal. It has to be. Whether you're a fisherman, um, an atheist, a physicist, a doctor, a mathematician, a teacher, a scientist, a, a musician, rich, poor, or just an average slob like me, man, you have to, you have to decide what you believe about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Law professor and scholar, uh, the director of advanced legal studies at University of London, Sir Norman, Norman Anderson, sums it up quite well, I think. He says this, Easter is not primarily a comfort, but a challenge. Its message is either the supreme fact of history or else a gigantic hoax. If it's true, then it is the supreme fact of history. And to fail to adjust one's life to its implications means irreparable loss. Anderson, by the way, has decided that it's true. He's a follower of Jesus. But ultimately, you have to decide for yourself, you know, what you believe. You say, well, I just have doubts. I have some doubts. That's okay. You know, one of the greatest stories of Easter is the story of doubt. You know, following Jesus' resurrection, Thomas, one of the disciples, said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... I'll put my finger where the nails were. I'm not going to believe this. And Jesus shows up and says, Tom, put your finger here. See my hands. Stop doubting and believe. Remember what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God, I believe. And the greatest, the greatest part of that story for me is, is that Jesus doesn't berate Thomas for, not, for doubting. He, instead, he says to him, hey, because you've, you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And in that statement... Jesus is really talking to us. We who have not seen, but believe. But if doubt, look, doubt is not a sin. And if doubt is keeping you from a decision, think of it this way. Several years ago, I was in Southern California, and I was visiting Torrey Pines State Park, just north of San Diego. I don't know if you've ever been there. Fantastic views from the top of these these cliffs. And I was walking along the cliff, uh, and it was a 350-foot drop to the bottom, and there were no barricades. It was a little freaky, i got to tell you. And there was a sign there that said, stay back, soft edges. Uh, And uh, apparently three hikers had recently fallen to their deaths. Well, imagine, imagine yourself on the edge of a cliff like that, and the soft ledges give way, and you lose your footing, and you begin to fall. But you, but you see a branch, like this giant root sticking out of the edge of the cliff. In a split second, you realize that that branch is more than strong enough to support your weight, and it's your only hope. How can that branch help you? If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can save you, but you don't reach out and grab it, you're lost. If your mind is filled with some doubt, but you read out, reach out and grab the branch anyway, you're saved. Why? Because it's not the strength of your belief, but the strength of the object of your belief that does the saving. Here's the point. 
You don't have to wait for all of your doubts to go away before you take hold of Jesus. Don't make the fatal mistake of thinking you've got to have all your questions answered before you decide to put your faith in him. What if it's all true? What if it is? Understand, sure, Easter is about the resurrection. But ultimately, the resurrection is about Jesus, who claimed to be deity in the flesh, Savior of the world, who offers this promise. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? How do we answer that question? How do you answer the question? It's your decision to make. Let's pray. Our Father, on this Easter weekend, we live in a culture that recognizes Easter, but um, my fear is, misses the point. The point of resurrection. But even, even more than that, they miss the person of Jesus. The question for all of us is this, who is he exactly? If he is who he claims to be, son of God, then the resurrection is not an issue. For with you all things are possible. If he is who he says he is, he's more than an example. He's more than um, just a good teacher. He is Lord of all things. Savior, Redeemer. And so, Lord, I, I just I want to allow us just a moment or two for each of us here this evening to, to kind of think about that. Just in the quietness of a few moments, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and, and meet with us in a special way. And allow each of us just that, a moment, Father, to, um, to decide what it is that we believe. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you that it's not up to us to earn our way to heaven, to work our way in, but it's all about your grace. It's all about the work of Jesus. And so we, uh, we commit ourselves to him and we celebrate uh, his resurrection tonight together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me? You know... Um, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the early church, he said something interesting. He wrote the Romans. He said, you know, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe, and it's with your mouth you profess your faith. And uh, early on in the, the history of the church, Christians got together, and they decided to, to kind of put together this, this, this statement of faith that uh, that expressed their belief in Jesus, the Son of God, a resurrected Savior. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And what we're going to do as we, as we kind of close the service is, um, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, so our, our recitation of the, the Creed is just a kind of a reaffirmation of your faith, or maybe you're here and for the first time you're ready to make a commitment, a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, whatever the case, I invite you to, um, to recite this with me. And allow this to be kind of that defining moment of, of recommitment or first-time commitment uh, uh, to be a follower of Jesus, okay? So let's, let's, um, let's read this together. 
I believe in the God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Hey, thanks for, thanks for being with us. And, um, you know, I hope you understand. Maybe, that you're, maybe that you're, this is your first time back in church in a long time. And um, maybe in your mind, hey, you're like, I'm, you know, my friends asked me to come, and, but I tried this Christian thing, and it didn't really work for me. My guess is if that's what you're thinking, if that's your experience, you really didn't understand Christianity. Maybe you tried religion, but religion will wear you out and wear you down, and, and it's just debilitating because you're always trying harder and harder and harder. You never know when you're good enough, and you never can get good enough. And that, that's rough. That's not Christianity. Christianity is all about the grace of God. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Do you guys get that? Yeah, so that's what it means to be a Christian. Committing yourself to be a follower of Jesus. Believe in him as Savior of the world. Um, maybe you've made that decision today for the first time. Paul says, with your heart you believe, with your mouth profess. So tell somebody about it. Let somebody know what you did. Write us a note. Send it to me. Uh, I'd love to hear about your experience. Or, um, you know, we have guest card, those guest cards in the, uh, the chair pockets. Just write on the back of that and give it to someone. We just want to hear your story. But uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of uh, Easter weekend. And I look forward to seeing you again uh, next week. So let me pray for you. And now, Lord, we, we, we go celebrating um, the event that changed the course of human history, the event that has changed the course of my life, of our lives, the resurrection of Jesus. And, Father, we, uh, we're grateful that it's not about our work or about our effort or about our performance. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about your grace in our lives. We embrace it, and we give you thanks for it. And so as we leave this place, may we go uh, joyfully proclaiming this good news. And may your hand now of grace and peace rest on your people, the church, tonight. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here, folks.